When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As episode 410 on today, Thursday, April 8th, 2021. And I have been pestering Ms. Lopez for several weeks now because she unfortunately told me that she did a thesis on resources in Siberia. And because I'm a weirdo and I have interest in odd things, I've been pestering you to tell me about that, like it's some sort of gossip. And I think I finally got you to cave and you told me, <laughs> beware, this thesis was written before you were born. I don't care. I want to hear it. And so, Miss Lopez, for all the new listeners, please introduce yourself really quickly and then let's jump into it. Sure. So, Claire Lopez, Lopez Liberty LLC. And uh, I went to graduate school uh, at the Maxwell School of Syracuse University. And it was there um, that I earned my master's degree in international relations with a Russia focus. And uh, my primary uh, thesis advisor and professor for uh, multiple courses um, was an expert on Russia and in particular on Russia and its geography, geography sort of writ large, um, meaning and including not just, um, you know, the expanse of the territory and the rivers and the mountains and all of that, but uh, the the natural resources mm-hmm. of Russia. Mm-hmm. And so I got fascinated by that. And um, in particular about uh, the resources in Siberia, which as people uh, probably know, spans, I don't know how many time zones, I think it's probably about 10 time zones yeah. uh, with only about two time zones uh, far, you know, to the west, uh, near nearest to, to Europe, where Moscow and some of the other big cities are. But the whole expanse from the Ural Mountains eastward is Siberia. And uh, it's forbidding, forbidding geography, forbidding topography, forbidding uh, weather and climate. Um, but it's chock full of, of all kinds of resources. And though that means um, mineral resources of all kinds. It means oil and gas, um, and it, it means other kinds of resources like timber uh, and furs and and other things. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what I wrote my thesis on way back when, and um, it, it was it was a fascinating study. Other other uh, colleagues of mine in the same program as me. Uh, wrote also on Siberia. One of one of my my friends colleagues wrote um, about the BAM B A M Baikal Amur mainland a mainline railroad that okay. runs from the west all the way to Lake Baikal mm-hmm. out in, the in Siberia. And others wrote on on uh, related topics for their for their papers and and, and theses. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, yeah, I mean this this is a place that that is is forbidding, um, but at the same time rich. And so it's it's um, you know man against nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know how to get the oil and the gas out of 
tundra, mm-hmm. um, you know, permafrost, yeah. uh, which for 10 months out of the year is frozen rock hard. And then for a bare two months out of the year, perhaps, uh, it turns into pure slush, mud. You know, how, how do you work in, in conditions like that? Um, how do you manage um, vehicles when the cold is so bitter tens and tens of you know degrees below zero is normal um how how do you how do you keep machinery running in that kind of environment how do you keep wheels from just cracking up and 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 exploding in the cold yeah um how do you keep vehicles from sinking into the mud and the slush when the tundra when the permafrost melts and how do you then uh, keep from inflicting, you know, permanent environmental damage on that 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 land, that surface area, uh, when you're taking your tract or your wheeled vehicles across it in in such conditions. So, all kinds of things, um, you know, played into it. Fascinating, um, of course, and uh, you know, I mean, a, a tribute to the Russian people um, who live and work there all the way out east. Um, you know, to Vladivostok um, and, um, you know, the the eastern and Kamchatka Peninsula and mm-hmm. so forth of, of Russia. Um, the other grimmer um, aspect of this is that, of course, Siberia is the place where, um, you know, from the Tsars uh, to, to Lenin and Stalin and, and, and the Soviet communists established the gulags. Mm-hmm. And of course, we uh, read about this, uh, especially Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Gulag Archipelago, mm-hmm. um, and and other uh, other writing. Um, you know, this is the grimmer side of Siberia: yeah. penal camps, yeah. labor camps, forced labor camps. Yeah. So all of that, um, you know, played into my master's study and thesis. Yeah, it's it's. Well, I was going to say one. I. I I want to get him on my uh, my uncle, my uncle Bob, uh, who's like a fish and game expert up in New Hampshire. But he did security for an oil company up in Alaska, and it's just like the, it's like this huge multi billion dollar conglomerate. And then they hire like, you know, down to earth Bob, and he was up there with a rifle looking at the perimeter for bears to make sure uh-huh, it's uh-huh. just this odd. But I just finished a book, uh, Richard Rhodes, the guy who wrote uh, Making of the Atomic Bomb. He has another book called Energy. And it's all about like from like timber in like 1700s Britain to present day, like pushing the edge of fusion research. And I'm reading another book right now called Private Empire about Exxon Mobil. And really, I, I, I've re- I read Energy and now I'm reading Private Empire, f- f- starting from our talk last week about at the tail end, I was saying something about resources and how it's, it's kind of becoming a blossoming interest of mine. But... I say everything about that, my uncle and those two books, because it's it's starting to see, you know, where how do you get all of this ridiculous? You know, it's it's kind of the imagery of everything in Siberia. It kind of seems like a freezer, like, you know, the freezer you have in your basement of like all the frozen meats. You know, if everything else goes bad, at least you have a freezer full of meats. There's kind of a weird imagery of like there's like a Russian freezer. If everything else goes to shit, we can like thaw out the freezer. But point of me saying I know I'm rambling is. 
even back in like the 1930s, reading about like oil companies going to like Saudi Arabia or maybe early 40s or something. And it's, well, how else would this ever get done? It's like at a time when like Model Ts are barely in the rear view mirror and they're talking about drilling, you know, 3,700 feet down in the middle of the desert. And it's, I mean, and there's only one answer. And it's if there's massive capital payoff, like that's how this stuff gets done, right? That's, you know, how do how does organic life obey the laws mm-hmm. of thermodynamics? It's because we give off heat and that's offsets the complexity. But that's how all this stuff get that gets done. And I think that's probably subconsciously why I've been so interested in your thesis about Siberia, because it's really a complex way of saying like where there's a will, there's a way. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? There's the easy tap stuff, like the oceans of oil under under the Middle East. But as we exhaust those, we're starting to see other places that like, we're going to have to turn to, whether it's rare earth metals in Africa or, like what you're saying, everything in Siberia. And to me, that's just wildly fascinating. Well, here, here we can bring this right up into the current day, as sure. you're doing there, Tommy. And that is... Um, you know, the balance uh, in in uh, the prices of oil, right? And how the OPEC nations um, balance production uh, versus their, their price level and their break-even price level. And how does that affect American production uh, for oil and gas, <clears throat> you know, in places like Texas or uh, the Dakotas or wherever? Um, and and it, it, it's a balancing act. And, and then you get into things like uh, the difficulty of extracting the oil and the gas out of Siberia, which is rather deep down, uh, versus the relative ease of extracting oil in places like Saudi Arabia with the largest oil reserves on the face of the earth that we know of so far anyway, um, much less expensive to get it out of the ground for Saudis and therefore, their break-even point um, is is a um, you know it's it, it, it's a much lower number uh, than the break-even point for the Russians who have to expend so much more money and and resources to get the oil out. And this had to do <clears throat> with the um, uh, price wars and 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 uh, you know discussions and and uh, everything that went on last year in 2020. We re- might remember um, that uh, there had been talks going on in the early part of 2020 uh, within OPEC and uh, certainly between the the Russians and and the Saudis and uh, you know about production caps or levels um, and uh, it got so acrimonious that remember President Trump actually stepped in and helped broker some sort of an arrangement agreement, um, you know, that that uh, worked for all of us, including the United States at that time, uh, energy independent, who knows now, with everything being shut down by the current administration. Um, but all of this plays into it. Yeah. Do you think we're going to, so right now, I don't know how, how topical this will be in the future, but I guess it doesn't matter. Is because I remember in like 2014, I was living at home with my my oldest brother at the time, and uh, it was the, it was kind of the weirdest it was kind of the weirdest thing because I remember we would watch on UStream U S T R E A M the original site that I think hosted Joe Rogan, but we would watch on UStream live like video bloggers 
from Crimea. And it was the weirdest thing because mm. he, instead of watching like net, and not to like, not to like belittle their plight, but instead of like watching Netflix or something, we would like stay up at these weird hours because you know the time difference is so much. And he and I would sit up and we'd like drink coffee or beer and we'd watch like the invasion of Crimea with not Russian forces, right? And it was an odd memory just watching like live streaming revolution, like eating popcorn, like wow, but. We kind of see it happening right now, right? Isn't it? I might be wrong, but isn't Russia? They've been saying it for a while, but is, doesn't Russia seem to be getting ready to invade Ukraine? Well, let's let's go back into a little bit of history. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, between the roughly twelve hundreds up until the eighteen hundreds, and even World War One, the Turkish Ottoman Empire conquered an enormous expanse. Uh, for Islam, for jihad, by way of jihad. And parts of southeastern Europe uh, belonged to the Ottoman Empire. Uh, so did Crimea. So did much of the Caucasus. And then in the 1700s, along comes Catherine the Great, who liberated Crimea from the Ottoman Turks. And it, from then on, was part of Russia. And they were happy to be free of the Turks and thrilled to be back uh, in the bosom of Mother Russia, Mother Russia because of course they're Slavs, they're mm -hmm. Russians. Um, and uh, that was the case uh, up through and including the revolution in Russia, 1917, and uh, the establishment of the various um, socialist republics uh, of Russia, USSR, um, and Ukraine was one of those. Well, uh, through all of this time, Crimea was part of Russia. Mm -hmm. Crimea is Russian. Until the year 1954, when Nikita Khrushchev is beginning to consolidate or to aim for consolidation of his power, his accession to the leadership after the 1953 death of Stalin, mm -hmm. right? And in 1954, for whatever reason, and nobody even knows why exactly, uh, to this day, Khrushchev got the idea that he was going to detach Crimea from Russia and just give it to Ukraine for no reason. The Crimeans weren't happy. The Russians weren't happy. The Ukrainians said, okay, but you know, what's the difference? We're all still stuck inside the Soviet Union, so it's kind of a wash. Mm -hmm. And that was fine up until the Soviet Union broke apart in 1991. Mm -hmm. And then Ukraine went its own independent way along with the other republics of the former USSR. And what happened? Crimea gets dragged along with Ukraine, but they don't want to be Ukraine, they want to be Russia. And so when under Putin now, the Russians moved to take back Crimea, people who don't know this history- I didn't. Got all wrapped around the axle. I didn't know it until you would tell me right now. And yet the people of Crimea, there was a referendum they want to be part of Russia, okay. not part of Ukraine. 
Now, I draw a line, okay? And that line um, has to do with Russian aggression against Ukraine proper and the eastern part of Ukraine, the region that's called the Donbass. Mm-hmm. That's another story. That's aggression, okay? That That is Putin and Russia, um, you know, testing to see how far they can go, invading, using proxy forces to invade, militia forces mm-hmm. to invade eastern Ukraine. And that's a much more conflicted situation than ever Crimea was. Okay. So I would draw the line there. That is wrong. That's aggression. And that needs to be stopped. And we, the United States, need to take a stand against that under President Trump. Of course, we did finally. And we, uh, we the United States, actually finally uh, agreed to provide the Ukrainian government with defensive uh, weaponry, uh, like anti-tank missiles, to defend themselves against encroaching Russian tanks. Uh, under President Biden, whose family, shall we say, is so um, compromised <laughs> in, in, in Ukraine, Ukraine, don't know what the policy is going to be exactly. But that's a bit of history for you. <clears throat> okay, so it seems like Crimea is like uh, Crimea is like the child, and Russia like rewon custody of it. But now Russia is trying to take a child of Ukraine that it didn't have with Russia. Is that a, a decent analogy? Well, you know, I mean, borders have shifted back and yeah. forth across that Euro-Asian landmass forever, right? But I think a case can be made, um, you know, that Ukraine has a border. It has, you know, a land border with Russia, and that needs to be respected. I do separate Crimea away. Um, uh, I mean, we could also get into all kinds of things going on in the Black Sea and encroachment by uh, Russian naval vessels and so forth. What's happening uh, there? On Ukrainian um, waters, uh, fishing, naval, all of that. Okay, that, that that's in the Black Sea. But on the land, um, I, I do draw the line with, with Ukraine's land borders, um, you know, with, with Russia. That That is Ukraine. And has been for a very long time. Uh, despite, yes, the borders have shifted back and forth, certainly World War II, uh, during, before, after. Um, but but that's, that, that is where we need to hold the line. I mean, you know, along, along the same, um, you know, lines as the Transnistria, um, you know, Romania and Moldova. There are other land borders like that where Russia is pushing, pushing, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in the Caucasus, Abkhazia, and, and, you know, around up there with um, uh, Ossetia and Georgia and um, <clears throat> uh, the, different, the different Caucasus republics. This is, this, is, this is, you know, Moscow pushing to see how far it can go. Yeah, I completely forgot about Georgia. Actually, <clears throat> I vaguely remember it when I was living in the state of Georgia. But yeah, that... It kind of seems like a pattern, right? They they go mess with Georgia and then they kind of lay low for a couple of years. Crimea lay low a couple of years. Now it's Donbass. And are we coming up on if you could loosely draw an analogy to the uh, the Berlin airlift where uh, the Soviets drew the line 
and said, you know, we're cutting off here. You know, let's see if America will play their hand and they'll use nuclear weapons. And then we kind of skirted around it with the round the clock air bridge. And it was that was like the first bullet dodged of the Cold War. Right. The first the first time it could have come to blows. And instead, we, you know, we kind of we both juked each other. The next one. Well, I I don't see U.S. or Western or NATO forces uh, becoming directly involved in Ukraine versus Russia. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. Um, But nevertheless, I mean, there there are lines that can be drawn. Um, Again, providing Ukraine with defensive assistance, for example, sanctions against Putin, against Russia. That's been done under the uh, under the uh, Trump administration. Those kinds of things, but I don't see Western forces becoming themselves directly involved. No. What what I what I meant was it's 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 similar in the way that are we seeing kind of like is you know the lines in the sand is it being crossed? I know they're not part of NATO, but in general, it's they're seeing how far they can go. So, you know, if they take Crimea, well, then I'm sure there's someone there that's using the example you cited. And it was like, they always wanted to be part of Russia. And it's like, okay, okay. Well, now if they're looking at Donbass or it's like they're pushing that, at a certain point, I would imagine they have to look at, like, where are we going to draw the line? Because if they push that, they're going to keep pushing it. Kind of like, is China is China going to take Taiwan? Are they going to invade Hong Kong? Like, they already kind of are. What I mean is, where is the line going to be drawn? Are, are we going to see a, a, a resurrecting of the whole domino theory from the 60s and 70s? Is, or are we just, I don't know, have we kind of lost the teeth? Are we just going to keep drawing a line and then going... There's a lot of, there's a lot of questions with, with our current administration, which is you know, generally viewed by friends, adversaries alike as a pile of limp spaghetti. So... You know, uh, every rogue on the face of the earth is is pushing to see what the limits are, or if there even are going to be any limits. So, what do you think? Are we going to are we going to see? Is Putin going to try to put back together some form of the Soviet Union? Do you think? No, 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 not like that. You don't think so? Um, he's 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 pushing at the edges, right? Um, Ukraine is the edges. And Ukraine has always been for Russia, going back centuries, kind of its strategic depth. I don't know if you if you know uh, what the what the word Ukraine actually means um, in in Ukrainian or in Russian, which are very close, but they're different. They're distinct, but close Slavic languages. Ukraine is actually two words. Ukraina. U means at Ukraina means the farthest out border. So at the farthest border is the name of the country of Ukraine. Well, of what is it the farthest border of Muscovy, of of the Duchy of Muscovy, of, you know, the empire as it was built, Peter and Catherine and Mm. and so forth. Uh, So Ukraine has always been um, this kind of um, farthest out buffer zone, strategic depth, if you will, for Moscow. But nevertheless, never mind. It is an independent country and it is recognized as such and we need to recognize and defend it as such as well. And I don't mean with military forces on the ground or in the air, but I mean 
um, with, with every other measure that we can muster. There's this, there's this BBC video where it's like a, it's like a faux BBC video. It was like an art project someone did or something years ago, but it's how would World War Three kind of look in real time? Like not from like a general's view, not like how would you and I see it just on the news? And it starts, I think it starts in like the Black Sea or near Ukraine. And it starts with like Russia moving and then the U.S., you know, saying like we stand with like the Ukrainian people. It's something eerily similar. It's like 10 years old. And there sure the, could be a flashpoint there, yeah. yeah. And then how it breaks out is like there's this like conventional buildup where it's like you see naval ships and destroyers and like missile cruisers. And then you see it escalating to like, you know, tons of fighter jets going in the air. And it really takes place in the matter of like four or five hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly mm-hmm. from like peaceful, like, you know, this morning's weather and the Red Sox are playing the Yankees to all out to finally it ends with like, there was like a nuclear burst over like Brussels or something. And then the screen goes to like a emergency alert broadcast. And it's like, make sure you have 14 days of food and water, like cover yourself in an inner sanctum if you have any. And then it turns to this red flashing signal and it says like impact imminent, impact imminent. And then the screen just stops and you just hear like the background radiation of a, a thermonuclear blast, like no electronics work anymore. But the whole yeah. thing is supposed I mean, to yeah. play out in four hours. And yeah. it's scaring the shit out of me. That it- it's 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 compressed yeah. scenario for sure, you know, and, and nothing that we expect to happen like that. But nevertheless, over the last days and weeks, Russia has been amassing military force, uh, its own Russian military force on the border with Ukraine. Uh, whereas, you know, previously through much of this conflict, um, it's been proxy forces that have been used, um, plausible deniabilities, mm-hmm. I suppose. I mean, everybody knows, mm-hmm. but um, you know, now it's actual Russian forces in a in a kind of a show of force. You know, is it is it saber rattling? Do they actually mean to invade? Are they testing to see if you know anybody's home at sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue? Um, how far will they go? And and that that's a question mark right now. It, yeah, it it makes me think of uh, like World War One. Um, who's his face? Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, which is possibly the best recap of World War One ever. It's like six parts. Each part is like three hours. But he talks about how after World War One, generals were talking from like both sides, and they were like, you know, now they're in their nineties, and it's like, how did this all start? And I think the response is, ah, if we only knew. We just stumbled, we stumbled over a cliff in the night. Kennedy apparently quoted those generals in October 62, saying, I don't want in some distant future in some nuclear bunker, the survivors of humanity to look back at October 62 and say, how did, how did it all happen? And to say, ah, if we only knew. But it paints this picture of it's not always this you know, black and white, Hitler invaded Poland. Oh no, they're burning Jews and they bomb Pearl Harbor. And it's like, I know that's a gross simplification, but it's pretty like defined. It's like, all right, well, they're blowing up our oil tankers off our coast with U-boats. It's time to go to war. It seems that sometimes, I mean, World War One, you know, behind World War Two, the biggest, and then the Cuban Missile Crisis, which avoided, but could have been the biggest conflict in human history and the last is it right now is is this the fog the sort of pre-fog that maybe in the future they'll look at 
it's like us well, saying, I mean, the one thing I would say about now is that the availability of information in real time is so much greater than it ever has been in history before. So uh, there is pretty good knowledge about who's moving where with what forces. The question now comes down to more, I think, one of willpower, um, of upholding uh, the international uh, system of order, such as it is, whatever it is. Um, You know, unknowns perhaps include, let's go back to Russia again, uh, the extent to which Putin and Xi Jinping of China are... Uh, working together, collaborating, plotting together, um, you know, uh, but but those kinds of things may not be as well known, um, but certainly physical movements uh, of, of forces are, are known in real time, and um, some of those forces, hypersonic missiles, can move with incredible speed. Um, but, but right now, I think what we're looking at is the centrifugal forces of the world system starting to fly off, if you will, figuratively speaking, kind of. And I've talked about this poem um, on a couple of other um, interviews, programs that I've done recently. And it's, it's from William Butler Yeats. You mentioned World War I. This poem was written in 1919, just after the end of World War I and its horrors for, for Europe. Um, when, when so many of the best you know, young men of the continent lay dead. Mm-hmm. And William Butler Yeats wrote a poem called The Second Coming. And uh, it's not long, but, but in it and in the first stanza, I'll just tell you part of it. He says something like... Um, Things fall apart, the center cannot hold, the blood dim tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. Now, I'm not saying the entire stanza, but that's that's what comes to mind here with what we're seeing begin to happen. And it's absent strong leadership, the center, if you will, uh, in Washington, D.C. Under Trump, things were hanging together not not perfect and and plenty of warfare all over the place but but in general the world system of order kind of was hanging together hmm. but that's not true now it's flying apart things fall apart the center cannot hold yeah. because of the limp pile of spaghetti in the white house that's all when the u.s is absent in leadership from the world chaos follows yeah it's another another piece of dan carlin's uh um bit on world war one is another quote and it's uh they they only it's like the first term first use of the term doomsday machine but it's kind of about maybe it was bismarck's or whoever it was the whole interlocking connections of world war one that kind of or of europe prior to world war one that kept it breaking out in a war 
but the idea was and it was also the technology at the time right it wasn't live feed hd satellites and hypersonic missiles a lot of it was you know once the train started moving like i think one quote is is like the germans started mobilizing and i think at one point they were like actually let's bring him back and the general was like you can't stop this once it starts and it's but maybe that was a sign of technology at the time but anyway the quote is one of the generals says uh kind of once this doomsday machine once the gears start turning of all the nations well if they get attacked we have to defend them well if we defend them they're gonna and it's this but he describes it as uh the lights or i guess the oil lamps have gone out in europe and i fear mm-hmm. not they will be on they i fear they will not be on again for a long time yeah yeah well that that was this interlocking you know network of alliances yeah. that bound countries to each other in opposition to the other block mm-hmm. and and that in in part at least is what set off you know the spiral into world war one mm-hmm. now do you think that are we going to see an okay an absence of leadership do you think this is something where the the military state or the pentagon would idly stand by or are we going to see the movements or the reverberations of the silhouette of the so-called deep state are we going to see kind of uh like curtis lemay used to say um if uh i like i don't need he he used to say like i don't need approval to use the a-bomb if the soviets are attacking my nation i'm not going to sit here fat dumb and happy i'm going to go get the bomb and i'm going to go deliver it to target no 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 no. just stop stop right there perish the thought um, the United States military oh, is under it. civilian control. Yeah. The commander in chief of the U.S. military is the president. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm not saying that's anything I want. I'm just looking at examples of people that, you know, okay, I guess you're right because, right, Truman kind of smacked MacArthur around when he stepped out of line. I don't know. LeMay stayed in charge. We could argue. I mean, you know, who was right? Um, MacArthur driving for the Yalu River yeah. or President Truman who called a stop to it all and then we think of what happened you know since um, but nevertheless the commander in chief is the president of the United States and in any case our military has been so badly degraded Trump did the best he could to build it back up again um, but, you know, now what we're seeing from the commanders, um, you know, the Secretary of Defense, uh, Lloyd, General Lloyd Austin on down, uh, you know, six months off to, to look for white supremacy in the ranks, um, you know, six months off uh, on stand down or whatever it is uh, to, to, to figure out if, if um, you know, they need to approve uh, transgender surgical operations. Uh, this is absurd at a time when the Chinese military openly is talking about, um, you know, manning up and, and, and beefing up its, its military forces, which do not include female flight suits, beefing up its military uh, to be more formidable. And, you know, here we are. So is this is this all do you think that this could all be in I guess tinfoil hat time? Is this all the fingerprints of, of China uh, involvement in the US? 
get within and break down the military? Or is it just our own? Are we Rome it's, in the it's, it's both. You know, it's it's been trends in the United States going way back. You know, I think we've talked about Antonio Gramsci's long march through the institutions mm-hmm. of communism and Marxism with explicit goals that were mentioned in chapter four, uh, chapter 13 of um the Naked Communist by W. Cleon Skousen, and among those 45 goals were things like, um, you know, degrade the popular culture, make obscenity and pornography commonplace, degrade, um, you know, our school curriculum, um, uh, degrade our respect for, for foundational principles respect for founding fathers, um, the heroes, the settlers, the, um, the immigrants even um, of this country, you know, degrade everything that is good and wholesome in society. All of that, all of that's been going on for many, many decades. I would say that the Chinese Communist Party leadership of the international communist movement, including the Communist Party of the United States, is of more recent vintage. Uh, It is not Moscow that leads global communism anymore. They're still in the mix. They're obviously still there. Uh, But the leadership of of global communism, Marxism, Maoism, today is Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party. That's, That's the adversary. And yes, they are involved in our popular culture. I mean, look at... Look at a platform like TikTok, which is an AI CCP collection platform. Mm-hmm. You know, look look at the interference in our elections last year by the Chinese out of their Houston consulate. You know, we've talked about that. Um, and uh, the overwhelming influence of uh, Chinese propaganda through its United Front Work Department. Um, the propaganda, the the information operations flowing through all of our media, print media, um, online social media, TV channels and cable TV and and all the rest of it. Um, Massive, massive uh, Chinese Communist Party influence, which I do not see being challenged or checked at this point in time. Rather, it's um, you know, the limp spaghetti in the White House uh, that is being challenged and checked. Will things change? <clears throat> if I don't think, and this is for the record, Secret Service, don't come pounding down my house. I don't think Biden's going to make it till till 2022. And I don't necessarily mean living, although he might. I don't think he'll be the president in 2020. And I could be wrong. I mean, I might look back at this and that it won't age well. Let's say Kamala takes over. Are we going to see at least someone who's cognitively there? Maybe not someone I agree with, but at least have some. I'd at least rather have someone I disagree with who's at least cognitively there and is admittedly ruthless as opposed to, you know. Well, I mean, I think we've seen the leadership in air quotes capabilities of uh, the current um, vice president. Um, Not impressive. Rather, I think what we're seeing already even now is a kind of a collective oligarchic leadership uh, in Washington, D.C. that includes top ranks of the Democrat Party, um, senior figures, certainly including a Nancy Pelosi, a Chuck Schumer uh, in in, uh, Congress, um, plus other leadership figures of the Democrat Party uh, around the country, 
that's that's who's running the country right now it's it's not the figureheads uh, whether they remain in those positions or not um it's an oligarchy that that is running the united states right now so i guess the big question is does china have a superior system and i don't mean that let's full disclaimer i don't mean that I approve of it. I don't approve of the work camps or the detentions or the concentration camps of Uyghurs and Christians or the mass censorship. But from a truly just detached, ruthless, psychopathic standpoint, you know, like reading about ExxonMobil, like nature selects for psychopaths, do they have a more, uh, if you will, genetically or maybe geopolitically fit system, the system that will go on and flourish is unrestricted warfare and the long march through institutions and just the hammer of censorship and police stating and social credit scores is that the most uh efficient system i mean it's demonic and it's everything against humanity but just looking at it completely detached is that the most i mean I can also see where if you were in 1940s, you'd go, hey, man, that's the way to run a country. You know, a country the size of Maine is taking over Europe and they're killing millions, but they're efficient. But then we see that they don't win. You know, Japan, man, they're highly efficient. They all think their leader is an actual god. They commit suicide instead of surrendering. But then but they're not the ones who won. It was Britain and America and France. Do they have a more fit system? Is that like the black pill or do they have a more vicious uh fit system or is is this the same as like reading your own press releases am i you know am i seeing them as this efficient monolith in reality do they have as many internal cracks and erosions that we have but i only see ours because i live here and grow up here does that make sense no tyranny will never ever be a better system than a system of free people um, and the reason the reasons are, are, are many, partly because um, they only can maintain power through force, coercion and terror. And that only lasts so long mm-hmm. before either a rival uh, tyranny uh, comes up to challenge them and or uh, the people themselves rise up from below and demand an end to tyranny. Um, there are many fissures and fractures within communist systems. Uh, the, the Russian one, certainly uh, the Chinese one. Um, but the other reason um, is that inherently uh, a system of free people um, has more potential. It has a better reason to fight, to exist, to, to triumph. What, what does a tyrannical system have as motivation? Self-perpetuation? That's not enough. Yeah. Free people, free people have a far more um, driving, um, a, a, a better uh, system, a better, a better, um, impulse to 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 live free you know than than tyrannies do um against the worst odds and sometimes it takes a very very long time for for the the forces of the free people to to reassert themselves um but in the end because free people 
um, are not cowed by terror and coercion because they're not cowed by defeat even, but will continue on fighting until they can achieve their freedom because they look to higher values, because many look to um, divine inspiration, because many of them uh, you know, have an inner strength that derives from that freedom, from that belief in a divine if they do, they have in the end a far better chance um, of, of, of succeeding, of, of victory than, than tyrannies do. Hell yeah. That just got me amped up. I was trying not to pound my table. I was like, fuck yeah, Claire. Excuse my French. <laughs> it, uh, it, uh, it makes me think of... Uh, makes me think of i don't even remember who said it someone on one of my early podcasts said it but they're using the analogy of like the cell membrane right and uh you know which way does the gradient flow i mean you know if you have more water in this bucket than this bucket the gradient flows to that bucket we call it physics but if you to draw an analogy the simplest way to determine which system is the system the superior system is you just put a physical wall between the countries and if you have to have a wall to keep people in and the other one has to have a wall to keep people out, well, where the gradient is going is, is where humanity lies. You don't have to have a wall to keep people out of North Korea. We have to build a wall on the southern border to keep people from trying to get in. Yeah, no, the, the, the attractiveness, I mean, just the pure attractiveness of a free society draws people. There is something in human nature, yes, Many, many, many people, too many, are willing to be sheep and lemmings going, you know, crashing off the cliff. Um, I'll have to say that I was deeply disappointed in my fellow Americans to see how many were willing to simply go along like a bunch of sheep and lemmings uh, during this last year. Mm. Um, Deeply disappointed. But there will be, there is now forming a course correction to that, and that is the grassroots swell of of free people in this country. And I think this happens in other places too. Um, There is something in human nature uh, that wants to be free. No, not everybody. There are loads of people in this world who are perfectly happy to be slaves. And that may sound absurd. It might sound crazy, but it's true. true. They are perfectly happy to be slaves and to be taken care of. But on the other hand, is, is this never-ending, this, this drive, this impulse of human nature uh, to live free. And that will consistently and always rise back up again. That was beautiful. It's kind of like that, uh, I think it's Da Vinci. Was it a quote? It was about like flight, and obviously he didn't fly. Maybe it was in his dream. Or maybe it was one of the early pilots, I don't know. But it was like once, it, the quote is something like, like once you once you experience flight, the rest of your life, you will always like you will never be able to focus on the ground. Your eyes will always be upwards towards the heavens, knowing like what is up there. And I kind of look at that as like, you know, once in America exists with all of its flaws, but once in America exists, it's like you can't really you can't really ever not think about it. Right. I mean, it's the reason why I have friends from Bulgaria and Kosovo who, you know, I talk about it before my buddy Prince, who's a personal or a physical therapist now in New York. But I remember when I met him in 2014 in Ocean City, we were doing security together 
barely spoke a lick of English. I mean, he carried a switchblade around. He grew up in Kosovo. His dad was a journalist and had his arms and legs broken by the Serbs for covering what he thought was war crimes. Uh, Ivan from a small apartment block in um, Sofia, Bulgaria. He's a 6'4 bodybuilder now. He was Mr. Bulgaria. Now he lives in Las Vegas. He wins gold medals left and right. He is the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mark my words. But those are guys who, I mean, you go to these guys who are just obnoxious, just red, white, and blue hats, flags in their cars, you know, American Eagles, like, you know, bobbleheads on their dashboards everywhere they go. And it's America number one, number one. And like, if anyone ever tried to say anything to them, like, oh, you nationalist Nazi, I mean, they just look them dead in the, and whereas I would get like heated under the collar, I'd be like, what's wrong with loving America? These guys don't even take, they don't eat it just rolls off their back like water like beads up off the back of a duck they just look at him and they're like america number one you have no idea how good you have it usa usa and when i see them i'm always like that it's always kind of like the tree of liberty must be you know watered with blood the blood of tyrants from time to time i look at immigrants like that and it's almost like the base of america needs to be watered with these hungry freedom-loving immigrants from time to time because when you have people that grow up here, it's very easy to fall into this America bad, being white is bad, and you know, Uncle Sam is evil, America's a third world country with a Gucci belt. You kind of need those hungry guys that come in and just well, see with it for real what life it is. experience, yes. you know, in their lifetimes or, or, or certainly those of their family, um, you know, they live through this stuff. And uh, Americans, uh, we tend to get a little complacent sometimes because we don't know our history, as I've said before. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just think the way things are is the way things are always going to be. And that's not true unless we take care of it. Yeah. I mean, I remember. Yeah, it's and then I mean, I imagine they will have kids that will grow up and succeed. And then several generations down the road, the the ancestors of, of Prince and Ivan they will be spoiled rotten americans who don't know what they have but by then there will be another wave of immigrants that come in who will be hungry for freedom but i never remember when prince came to, actually to this house remember he came over and there's two things that happened there was an air show there were fighter jets going overhead and uh i remember he like ran inside and i was like prince it's like july 4th you got all it's f-22 raptors they're gonna break the sound barrier and he was like, he's like, I've mean, he was like, whenever I see fighter jets, he's like, it's never been good. And I was just like, holy shit. And another thing was, is I remember this is back before I'd ever even used Instagram, but I remember he came to my house. I mean, it's a, it's a nice house, but it's, it's just a house. I remember he came and was like, take a picture of me. And I was like, what? And he was kind of the same way I would maybe take a picture in front of like, I don't know, Michael Jordan's house, like Ferraris and Lamborghinis, you know, do like that. Prince came over and he literally like got down on like two knees and was doing like gang signs. And I was like, why are you doing this? And he was like, he was like the mowed lawn. None of the windows are broken. And there was two Honda Civics in the driveway. And I realized to him that was like big pimping. And he came inside and I swear to God, and this was, this wasn't even funny. It was just sad. I remember he opened the refrigerator. He opened the refrigerator and the freezer and he asked me to take a picture of him because it was fully stocked. And I remember I was just like, and so every day when I would come to work with him, I would bring him just like a sandwich. My mom would pack him a lunch. And every day he would like choke up. And he'd be like, we are brothers. And I'd be like, Prince, it's really all right, man. I'll, I'll bring you a sandwich. It's it's okay. And like he was, I mean, 
but it's kind of a we'll end on this kind of funny side note he took it so personally that you know we were his american family that i remember you know we were doing security at this apartment complex and it was a bunch of like you know 16 year olds down here for spring break and uh like this kid you know just a bunch of brats drinking and i didn't give a shit and i went up and i would try to be the cool security guard because i remember what is i remember i used to remember what it was like to be a young kid drinking when you weren't supposed to and i go knock on the doors and i'd be like hey guys I know you have alcohol. You got to keep it down. Otherwise, the owner's going to call the cops. 99% of them were like, oh, bro, thank you. Because I remember when guys would do that to me when I was younger. They'd be like, keep it down. I don't want to call the cops on you. You'd be like, all right, I got you. Appreciate it. And I opened this one door, and it was this kid who had, like, braces, like, reeking of vodka. I was, like, 24 at the time. And I was like, hey, man, you got to be quiet. And he, like, he, like pushed me. And, you know, this this kid weighs as much as my, you know, right arm. And I was like, I don't. But before I could even do anything, I remember Prince grabbed the kid by the neck and, like, whipped out a knife. And he was like, I cut you like pig. And I like pulled Prince back. I was like, Prince, I love the energy. I love the enthusiasm. And I love the like, I love the faithfulness. But you can't do that here. And he's like, I'm sorry. He was like, this, this man, he's like attacked my family. And I was like, Prince. And he later confided in me that because I had brought him lunch every day and shown him what the United States was all about, he was ready to kill a 16-year-old for me. And maybe that's not the best example, but to me, that always sticks out in my mind. But I'm like, mm-hmm. it helps me remember that you're right. A, you know, a tyrannical system can't win because you have guys like that that come over that want an Instagram photo in front of a stocked refrigerator of bananas and, and deli meat. And I'm kind of just going off on a tangent now, but this was I, I greatly appreciated this talk. I, I needed that. I needed that kind of that tough love. Like, no, a, a tyrannical system can't. It can exist for a while. It can mm-hmm. be, and it can be a dark period. But yeah, what? How can it go on? For what self perpetuation? For what purpose? There has to be a place of freedom. So I know I've been ranting for the last five minutes, but thank you very much, Claire. I, I needed that. I needed that okay. refresher. Yeah. No, I, I I really believe all of this, and uh, those are great examples. I, I I think your your audience will appreciate hearing about them. <laughs> yeah, I need I need to get both of those guys on here because they're they're I've been trying to get them on, but the, I mean, but now I mean, Prince now lives in Manhattan. He's a he's a physical therapist and he speaks perfect English, and it's just like, what I mean, he is. If someone drew up that character and said, "This is the American dream," you know, whoever was in charge of PR would say, "No, this is too cheesy. You got to water it down a little bit." But that's who this guy is. So yeah, now I'm good. getting all jacked up. On, like now I'm getting Many. all jacked up. So I got to, I don't know. I got to go for a run now. I got to let off some steam. Okay. Claire Lopez, right. as always, good. thank you so much for being on here. You're a great American and I'm so appreciative of you being on here. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, Claire. God Take bless. care. Take care. You as well.